0: You're listening to the Parents of Hardworking Teens podcast episode 15 and today I'm answering your questions about subject selection, command words in different subjects and perfectionism. So stay tuned. I'm Katie Jones, and with over 15 years in education as an award-winning high school teacher, international external examiner, and as a study coach, I've helped thousands of students skyrocket their results and confidence, and this podcast is where I share all my insights, tactics, and tips with you, the parent, so you can help your hardworking team get happy, smart, and successful in their study, and have you both enjoy the journey along the way. This is the Parents of Hardworking Teens podcast. Hi VIPs, how are you doing? I am great because I am super excited to get into our first Q&A episode here on the podcast. If you haven't heard, I'm going to be dedicating three episodes over the next three months to answering your questions anything you want to ask me about anything study related. It could be exams, homework, or your teen and their specific strengths or weaknesses or goals, or anything about me and the training and coaching programs that I run for students here at Rock Solid Study. And My goodness, I have already had so many great questions that I think I'm going to need way more than three episodes. So what I'm going to do is also weave some of your questions into episodes that either I've already had in mind or that have now been sparked off in my brain from those questions. So if you have a question that you'd like to send in for me to answer on the podcast, then please email it in to support at rocksolidstudy.com and put in the subject line, podcast question. And then on the first Tuesday of each month here in September and then in October and November as well, I will be dedicating an episode to answering your questions. So let's dive in. I have picked out three really great questions with quite a bit of variety for today and as you can imagine, I've got a lot to say in my answers to them. So here goes. Our first question is from Jen who asked... My son is choosing subjects for the HSC. Do you have any guidance about subject choices given the content levels or essay requirements of one versus another? Okay. I don't tend to give that much advice on subject selection other than what everybody says, which is choose the subjects that you enjoy and are good at. Now, of course, yes, you may also want to look at prerequisite subjects or other requirements for any future university or career choices that your teen is thinking that they'd like to do. But I also know that most students don't really either know what they want to be doing at this stage, or even for those that do, still do that knowing that they may very well change their mind on their future ideas. So don't necessarily revolve everything around it. And the reason I personally don't get into things like scaling and GPAs is because although I do realize that for some school systems, these are important there are people out there who are super clued into that stuff. And I'm really just going to leave that side of things to those people, the careers counsellors, the exam boards, while I stick to my power zone of helping students get those and make those as high as possible for them, no matter what subjects or what routes they take. Because the good news is that very often the things we enjoy are also the things that we are good at. And that also often therefore guides our ideas on what careers we might want to pursue. Because it's pretty rare to enjoy something that you're pretty terrible at. I will tell you that me and surfing is a very good example of this. (laughs) Of course, as an Englander moving to Australia, you think that you have to learn how to surf in order to really have any kind of life. Now, I don't even particularly like swimming. So you'd have thought that that would have been enough for me to know that it was never really going to be my thing. But hey, after a couple of weeks of moving here, me and my not yet then husband, Alistair, were hiring out boards on weekends, getting a couple of lessons. And he was, of course, annoyingly much better at it than me. (laughs) I quickly decided that the effort of carrying the board, the whole wetsuit thing, and then the endless paddling only to then fall off within two seconds or actually, more likely, not even get up in the first place, just wasn't that much fun or worth it or in actually any way enjoyable. I even had one lesson where I stood up and stayed up for a decent amount of time. It was pretty shallow and it was a very small wave, barely a wave, but I had a big grin on my face. I turned around, ready to shout to Alistair, hey, like, did you see me? Did you see that? Like five-year-olds do to their parents. Until as I turned around, I realized that the instructor was literally behind me holding the surfboard the whole time, holding it steady so that I could stand up. (laughs) So anyway, needless to say, I am no surfer. And with the whole getting the hair wet thing as well, when you have hair like mine, that is no small deal either. It was clearly doomed to never be my thing. So... Let's get into the second part of Jen's question because this is where I do want to get into the requirements of the actual subjects because I like how Jen worded this. She said, do you have any guidance given the content levels or essay requirements? In other words, she's talking about the subject knowledge and then what has to be done with it. So what do they have to learn at what level of difficulty or detail? And then are they assessed through exams or essays or coursework or inquiry investigations, research reports, whatever it is. So it comes down to those two parts of the study success formula. Go back, catch episode number one if you want more on that. It's the knowledge, i.e. the syllabus content and the application of that knowledge that is going to deem how successful your teen is in that subject that they choose. Now, the content is more down to personal preferences. Are they interested in history? Do they have more of a scientific or artistic mind? And it's where a subject-specific tutor could help if that side of things is ever a struggle, if they need help really understanding the actual subject content. Now, I talked about that on a podcast recently, so check out episode 12, for more on figuring out whether or not your teen needs a tutor. But the tasks and assessments themselves are down to techniques, skills and strategies, the application of that subject knowledge. And the best news here is that skills and strategies are not innate talents that we are either born with or we're not. It's like having a passion for cars or an interest in sports cars versus learning to drive a car. We aren't all sports car enthusiasts but most of us are able to learn the skills of driving and become independent in mastering the steps and techniques with the right training. An essay strategy or exam technique can be learned and can be applied just like that to any subject. Now Jen mentioned essays and I don't know any student who just loves writing essays. They're really interested in them. They have a passion for them. Now, yes, some students may feel more confident than others. And that's just because they are more skilled or proficient in the skills and steps involved. Steps like breaking down and understanding the essay title and what it really means and requires in their response. Like crafting a strong thesis statement, like brainstorming and then selecting the best points and evidence for a response to that question, like structuring clear and succinct yet detailed paragraphs or like writing conclusions that do more than just repeat what they've said in the intro or what's already been written and like responding at the top level of demands in the mark scheme. All of these things are skills. They include steps, systems, techniques, strategies, and yes, to execute them well requires solid knowledge of the topic or the text being studied, but the essay, the actual writing of the essay, is all about how students apply that knowledge to the essay task. And therefore, these are skills that can be trained, and honed and practiced. And if your teen could do with getting those skills into their tool belt, then if they are in years 9 to 12 or 10 to 13, depending on your school system, then of course, get them into the 10-week grade transformation program. Because when students have them, this then takes away a lot of the overwhelm and stress or confusion because they have that how part, the application, how to put across or show their subject knowledge in the way that the assessment demands. Okay, next question. This is from a student, Kira, and she asked, are the command words always meaning or requiring the same thing in all different subjects? Now, first of all, I want to say that I'm really pleased that you are now switched on to command words, Kira. And I love that you're asking this question. And yes, the meaning and requirements are the same across all subjects. What we are looking for as teachers and examiners is the same in terms of the elements that are required in responding to a command. But what will vary is the subject content in your answer, i.e. what you're saying or writing about as you meet each of those requirements in relation to the topic. Now, probably the easiest way to explain that is with an example. And because when I'm coaching students, I always tell them to pick out the toughest or most awful looking examples for us to do together. Then in this case, let's go straight to the top of Bloom's taxonomy for this and consider the evaluate level of commands. Now, side note, if you haven't heard me explain Bloom's taxonomy before and command words and how it all relates to your teen study, then be sure to come to my next free parent event. Everyone who's on my email list gets information and invitations to these direct to their inbox. So if you are not already on my email list, then just go and request the free parent guide that's on the website, www.rocksolidstudy.com and we will automatically add you to my list. Now on the topic of Bloom's taxonomy, there has been a debate over the years about the top end of that model, whether the evaluate or create level goes at the very top they have been interchanged in different versions since but when it comes to exams and essays and most type of formal assessments the cognition of create is rarely used and if you're kind of raising a bit of an eyebrow to that then make sure that you are subscribed or following the podcast so you get all future episodes because i'll be explaining why that is in an upcoming episode that i have got planned for you but Back to the now, here's how the high level skill and process of evaluating is the same in any subject. Evaluating is all about making a judgment. I'll say that again. Evaluation requires students to make a judgment, not just talk about something, not discuss it, but make a judgment. So let's say that we have to evaluate in history. Now, it might be a question about whether a particular political leader was effective. It could be an essay question. It could be an inquiry task. In other words, it's asking to what extent they were an effective leader or simply stated, were they a good leader or not? And to answer this, we have to find evidence for both sides, ways that they were, So things that they did that were successful and ways that they weren't. Things they did that weren't successful. That's the discussion part. And then from that evidence, we then make an overall judgment. Yes, they were, no, they weren't, or they were somewhat successful. Now let's compare that to evaluating in a subject like design tech, something very different. Now you might have to evaluate a product here. In other words, you're judging how good or bad the product is, or how successful or unsuccessful it is. Now, again, you're going to have to find all the ways that it is good. Maybe that's ways that it meets the design brief or meets the need of the user and all of the ways that it doesn't. And from those you'll make, yep, you've got it, a judgment. And finally, let's use an example for science. So, quite a different subject, again, in terms of the content, but not the skill of evaluation. When you're evaluating an experiment, perhaps, you are judging how accurate your data collection was and how reliable the experiment methodology were and your conclusion is. identifying and explaining all the ways that it was accurate and reliable and the ways that it wasn't and you are making a judgment. Can you see how the subjects and topics are very different but the skill and the steps are exactly the same. And this is where the coaching side of things comes in for me and my students in next level coaching. It's where we help students go beyond identifying the command words and knowing what they mean and what they require. That skill is essential, but students then need to apply these skills to their own real life tasks across all different subjects in every type of assessment and question. And this is where that practice, the real life action, the personal coaching and the feedback comes in. Okay. Third and final question for today is from Ron, who asks, what do you say to a teen who is a perfectionist? My daughter will spend hours and hours on writing notes that look like a work of art and often takes forever just to get started on an assignment, partly because she is worried that she'll do it wrong and partly because she really wants an A or A plus and would be disappointed with even an A minus. How can I help her be more efficient and get things done faster so she can have a better life balance without it sounding like I'm trying to bring her down? Excellent question, Ron, (laughs) because there are quite a few angles to this. And from my experience, perfectionism shows up in a few ways. Sometimes it's an indicator of uncertainty or a lack of clarity, Because if there's something we're not really sure about, we tend to go over and over things trying to figure it out, hoping that the more we go over those things, somehow we'll find some clarity, which sometimes we might and sometimes we don't. And it can also come from thinking that effort equals results, that the longer we spend on something, the more effort we put in, the more work we do, the more likely it is that we'll get the result or the mark or the grade that we want. But for anyone who has ever had their teen put in tons of effort only to get a disappointing result, we know that this isn't the case. The problem with this is that by putting in that effort, we often feel accomplished. But in reality, we haven't actually accomplished very much in terms of how this is actually going to benefit us or get us the result that we want, turn into the outcome that we want. And then the problem with that is that it can give us a false sense of security. And none of us is immune to this. (laughs) I remember these sorts of things in my own student days. For a couple of my coursework projects at GCSE, I took great pride in that my front covers were laminated (laughs) back when it was not really accessible for the average person to use a laminator. But my best friend's mum worked in an admin office where they had a laminator machine and she'd take our front covers that were drawn in bubble writing, of course, by hand. We all remember bubble writing and coloured in by hand. And she laminated them for us and she hole punched it. And I would give this in with my project and have this slightly over the top front cover. (laughs) But I felt just as proud of the appearance as I did about the other like 20 pages that were inside. But the trouble was, there was no marking criteria that said has an impressive front cover. In fact, I actually have no idea what the criteria would have said. Back then, we weren't given those you know, pages full of criteria and rubrics to work with. But I'm still certain that it didn't say anything about the front cover. But we still do this. We still want to take pride in our work and make it look as good as possible. And if your teen has any of these similar kind of tendencies, here's where I think this comes from because it is not their fault that they've gotten into these habits. Often in the lower year groups, something like a beautiful looking project or impressive presentation with, you know, extra props or whatever other added extras that they have put in, an extra effort that they've shown is going to have resulted in them getting most likely lots of extra ticks, some smiley faces and gold stars. Going over and above what was asked for would get great effort marks or a glowing report comment and maybe even postcards home. And that can be great in instilling a good work ethic in those formative years. Having the effort be rewarded and recognized is important. But And here's the catch. When it comes to formal assessment in high school, there is nowhere to tell the external examiner how many hours of revision you did. There is no little box on the assignment hand in sheet where you write how many hours you spent on doing it, because I'm afraid that hours and effort are not directly correlated with results. In fact, actually, I shouldn't say that I'm afraid. Because of course, yes, zero effort is likely to get a zero result, but beyond that, there isn't a guarantee either way, which is why the skills of application like exam technique and effective revision and essay strategy are so important and mean that students can get excellent results without having to feel like they are slaving away, going over and above what is asked for. Another thing I want to say on perfectionism is that it can also be a form of what I call productive procrastination, where spending hours and hours making something extra beautiful or rewriting it out is really just a distraction from the thing we really should be doing. Definitely check out episode two of the podcast if you want more tips on helping your teen overcome procrastination. They are different things. Perfectionism, procrastination, lack of motivation. They are slightly different things, but sometimes there are some overlaps. And again, I see students putting in their hours, doing their study, in inverted commas, But here's what I always want to know in those situations. Is it going to positively and significantly impact their results? And if they can't tell you exactly how that is, then that is a bit of a red flag. Because think about something like procrastinating over cleaning the oven. (laughs) We want the clean oven, but we don't really want to clean the oven. I don't know anyone who wants to clean an oven. (laughs) So instead, we do other things that do feel productive, like, let's say, sorting out the kitchen cupboards because it's kind of activity. It is taking up our time and effort. It's producing something and we get to escape the feeling of laziness or like we should be doing something productive. And yes, we also do get tidy cupboards, but it's not going to get us the result of a clean oven. And if we're being judged, let's say, let's just relate it back to rubrics for a second. If we're being judged on how clean the oven is, it is not getting us that result. Now, we can argue that it's a good thing just to have the cupboards cleaned out and maybe it is just like maybe your teen might have still needed to do whatever it was they were getting done in the meantime. But now they still have that original task hanging over them and it's closer to the deadline. And they've also now used up some of their time and brain energy on whatever that something else was. And I also think that ties into the fact that for some students... If they're not feeling like they're studying every minute they could be, then they'll end up beating themselves up for not working hard enough if they do get a grade they're not totally happy with. So they tend to fill up their time with study related activities in order to make sure that they feel like they've done their absolute best. And again, that does kind of tie back to the effort equals results. Now... I know I've talked a lot there about why Ron's daughter might be in that perfectionist mindset rather than, you know, the how-tos and the steps on how to overcome it. But here's the reason. When it comes to considering what we're going to do about it or how we're going to help her, we need to know which of those things are going on beneath the surface. We need to identify the cause not just treat the symptoms because only when we know the reasons driving the perfectionism can we really then figure out the best way to make some changes and the changes that she will truly see the benefit of and therefore be able to get on board with because you're absolutely right we don't want her to feel like you don't want her to do her best or submit work that she's not proud of but we do want her best to be paying off for her and for her to also realize that her best work does not necessarily mean working every hour she has in her day. And so working out that reason and then solving for it is key. So... Thank you to Jen and Kira and Ron for those questions and to everyone who has already sent in questions. We have another two Q&A episodes still to come in the first week of October and November. So keep your questions coming and make sure you click follow or subscribe on your podcast app to make sure you don't miss an Episode. And if you want to always be in the loop for my online free parent events, my webinars, my resources, and other things that I share with my VIPs, then make sure you head to www.rocksolidstudy.com forward slash guide to get my free parent guide and be added to my email list. I usually email about once a week and more often when we have an event or something special to share, so I won't be clogging up your inbox. I hope you have a brilliant rest of your day and I will see you back here next week. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you head on over to www.rocksolidstudy.com and sign up for my free parent guide, the three huge mistakes even smart students make in exams and assignments and how to fix them immediately. And I'll see you back here next week.